You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Or learn more about us online at theriverdurant.com. Beginning with chapter 12, and then we get to chapter 15, and there God makes him righteous the moment he believes. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. The Apostle Paul weaves that, and not just weaves it into the fabric of New Testament doctrine, but makes it the centerpiece of all that he teaches the people of God, all that he teaches the church. That faith is a reckoning to righteousness. So what happened that day was Abraham sent up faith. And God saw this faith and had it said and accounted it to him as righteousness. Remember the story? Remember how we talked about this? How he called in the angelic accountant, had him open the book and write down righteousness. All it had on the table was faith. But he put in the book righteousness, which tells you any accountant, any bookkeeper will tell you if you have $6 on the table... You can only put $6 in the account. Unless you have a half dozen dollars on the table. (laughs) Then you can put $6 in the account because it's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Which means that God sees faith as righteousness because it's the same thing. Glory to God. There's nothing else that he, that he says that about. He does not say your holiness or your good deeds or your good works or anything accounts as righteousness. Just faith accounts as righteousness. Come on, somebody ought to high five, old holler. That's good preaching right there. That's what it means by accounting it as or reckoning it. Calls it the same thing. Whoo, that is awesome. How many times have you heard that? Probably t- still gives you goosebumps, doesn't it? It's yeah, really wonderful. Yeah. When you really understand the revelation that the Apostle Paul brought us, yeah. when you really understand what it means, it'll make you want to live your whole life in faith, in that invisible, unseen realm. Don't forget, if you believe in creation, if you believe that God created the worlds with His words, then what you believe is that the natural realm is subject to the invisible realm. Yeah. Glory to God. The natural realm is subject, not was, not once was, not used to be, is today subject to the invisible. If it ever was, it still is today. The invisible realm did not abdicate its right to rule. The invisible realm, with subtle nuances being expressed through all kinds of means, still holds right and authority to rule. The invisible God still has authority in the visible world. And he gave that authority to a man who rose from the dead. When he said, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. Now now we have a man, a man with all authority as though he were God. And by the way, he is. And if God now is man and man is a God, man is God, then he holds the same authority as as the Creator, which means he did not do that so that he could show himself to be man. He did that so that he could show that man has the same authority as God now. The only reason for God manifesting himself as man 
was so that man could manifest himself in the earth as God. Come, let us make man in some other weird little image. No, we're going to make man in our image. Man was created to look like God in creation. Because you are of an invisible force. You have an invisible force on the inside of you. You have a right to have your mind centered on what's not seen. And to use your faith to believe it every moment, every day of your life. To live like other people around you just can't possibly live. Until they come to this saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. They come into the family of God. Then they start acting like they own the place. Glory to God. Because they do. See? My role is to keep reminding you of this, to keep convincing you of who you are in Christ so that you will at some, maybe, maybe in small measure at first, but you'll begin to act like you are the children of God. Come on, somebody say amen. This is good. No one can determine his own righteousness, only his own satisfaction. I'm going to say that again. No one can determine his own righteousness, only his own satisfaction. You know there are people who are satisfied with their life and are totally unrighteous. There are people who are satisfied with their life but are totally unrighteous. No one can determine his own righteousness, but everyone can determine their own satisfaction. Ultimately, righteousness can only come from the one who is supremely right. Now think of it, if there is such a thing as right and wrong, then righteousness can only be dispensed from the one who is ultimately right. Or there's no such thing as righteousness. It has to go back to some moment, some person, some pinpoint. And I say that all righteousness comes from the one who is supremely right. So I can't determine my own righteousness, he has to determine it. And he determined how we get it. Well, this is really good goes back to the same answer every time. Believe God for your righteousness. Just because you are satisfied does not mean that you are right. But when you are right, you are satisfied. Amen. Now look at verse 7. Galatians 3, 7. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham. Now I want to say this to you. Not all the children of Abraham are the children of God. But all the children of God are the children of Abraham. Not all the children of Abraham are the children of God. Let me put it in terms you'll understand. Not every Ford is a Mustang, but every Mustang is a Ford, praise God. <laughs> That's all we're saying. <laughs> Not all the children of Abraham are the children of God, but all the children of God are the children of Abraham. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. You are the children of Abraham. And you are the children of God. Becoming the ch a child of God made you a child of Abraham. Why is this important to us? Why do we even care? I'm going to say it like Mark Twain said it. And you can have your favorite but my favorite American writer of in, on any level was a guy named Samuel Clemens, Mark Twain. And virtually all modern writing goes back to him in some form. The themes that he wrote about were just e enormously important. 
not just for the American way of life, but for the human consciousness. And he said, the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. Can I say it again? The two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. My, sounds like something from the, from the Bible, doesn't it? Why are we here? Who am I? What am I supposed to be doing? Millionaires commit suicide every day. So it can't be about money. They commit suicide every day. Actors, actresses with all the men and women lovers in their lives they want, kill themselves every day. They kill themselves every day. So it can't be about sex and that kind of love. People with great power, great fame and notoriety, they kill themselves every day. Because what they strived for their whole life, when they arrived there, they still felt hollow. They still knew they were empty. One of the great rock stars that my son followed was a guy named Kurt Cobain. I have nothing evil to say about this poor guy. I have nothing evil to Nirvana, yeah. Nirvana. Nirvana. <laughs> that great celestial state of nothingness. Named their band after what they thought would be heaven. Not Valhalla. <laughs> Not heaven. Nirvana. And he reached it and killed himself. Poor guy. Sad. Why? Because none of that feels. None of that feels. All that natural stuff does not satisfy. All it satisfies is what is inside you. A relationship that you know God loves you. God deeply loves you. And the only reason you don't believe more in the supernatural and in manifestations like miracles and healing and things like that is because you're not certain that you're worthy of it because you're not certain that He loves you just like you are. Newsflash! He loves you just like you are! I mean, he's got to love old Holler just like I am. I mean, he just has to. Because there's not a lot I can do to change. <laughs> Verse 8. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith. The heathen. Praise God, that's us. Preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached. I just found out we have an English professor from Southeastern here today. Yeah. Now I'm all nervous. 
because I was going to explain this with great authority, but she's sitting right back there listening to what I say. But I think I understand this, the structure of this sentence. I hope I do. Let me just ask you, dear lady. Tara, right? And the scripture, you see it up there. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith. Is that not foreseeing through, uh, that, that, that phrase that begins with, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith. Is that not a prepositional phrase? What is it? Well, you don't know either. I'm glad. Praise God. Anyway. <laughs> and the, but, but we do know this, that the scripture, comma, the scripture is the subject, and preached is the verb of that subject. Is that clear? Is that right? Yeah. All right. The scripture preached is my point. Thank you, sweet lady. I appreciate I hope I haven't embarrassed you too much. The scripture preached, and who does it say to whom it preached? What? <laughs> the scriptures preached to Abraham. Now, I don't know if you have any problems with this, but I've got a bit of a chronological problem with this. Because I know one thing for sure. Moses began writing the scriptures 400 years after Abraham died. <laughs> How'd that happen? How did that happen? How did the scriptures <laughs> preach to Abraham when they weren't written yet as Abraham as Moses wrote them down? Tell me, Brother Hart. I'm gonna tell you. <laughs> you wanna Y'all have too much fun in church. That's all it is. You just have too much fun. It's not a problem with, with, with Galatians 3. It's just as authorized and inspired as any other part of the Scriptures. What he's promoting here is the idea that the Scriptures themselves are eternal and that they represent the voice of God. And that in the mind of God in heaven, they were already written. If you look at Malachi 3.16, you'll see that there are books in heaven. That's why I talk about the accountant bringing out the big ledger, you know, and putting Abraham's name in there and putting righteousness under there. Because I know there are books in heaven. John saw them in the, at the end. Did they not bring out this big book they call the book of life? Yeah. Open it up. There are books in glory. I don't know how the, all, all that works, but they use this language so we'll understand it. And they're not, it's, it, this is not mythical stuff. This is the truth. This is actually really true. So I believe that the scriptures that you read were written in heaven before, before Moses started writing them. And God was, as it were, reading from a script when those angels appeared to Abraham and spoke to him. And Moses would later just pen what had already happened as though he was penning from another copy written in the Spirit. This is awesome if you ask me. Doesn't that make you just want to read your Bible? 
and I have students, you know, I have a lot of students, a number of students, many of them. I have one class that has nearly 500 students in it. That's a big class. <laughs> but I have helped grade. Because it wouldn't get graded. I'd just give them a grade, you know. <laughs> you passed. <laughs> All the Okies make A's. Of course. <laughs> All the Texans get C's. <laughs> I, uh, thinking about this thing about the scriptures, though, I, I, have him, I have him say, oh, Dr. Holler, I really need a word from the Lord. I, I need a word from God. Uh, I, I, there's a prophet coming. I, I'd like, I, I need to go get a word from God. A prophet, oh, well, okay, that's fine. Have you read your Bible today? <laughs> yeah. See, if you're not reading your Bible, you don't, you don't need a word. You don't even want a word from God if you're not reading your Bible. There's plenty there for you. There's, there's a word there for you. Stay in the scriptures. The scriptures will guide you. The scriptures will lead you. I know there's not one in there that says you need to go to Oklahoma City and look for a job. <laughs> I know. I know there's not one that says you need to go pick up your grandkids from school. I, I know. I'm not talking about that. There's certain things you just know. I mean, right? If you'll stay in the scriptures and devote yourself to the scriptures, God makes a promise here. They'll preach to you. They'll preach to you about your future. They'll preach to you about your destiny. I think the book is alive. Somebody said to Billy Graham years ago when the Living Bible came out, and he saw it, he saw it. They said, he said, what, what translation is that? They said, this is the Living Bible. Have you read the Living Bible? He said, yeah. I've had one for 40 years. <laughs> Just depends on how you approach the book, whether it's alive to you or not. Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. The Scriptures preached to Abraham. Verse 9, So then they which, are, which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Well, how was he blessed? We are blessed with faithful Abraham. How are we blessed with Abraham? I have to ask myself this question, and it's good for analysis that you ask yourself every question that comes to your mind when you're reading the Scriptures. Ask yourself the question, how does this apply, and what exactly does it mean? How does it, how does it apply to me? Well, how does it apply to us that we are blessed with Abraham? We're not blessed in the same way he, is in he was in eternity, because when Abraham's faith made him righteous, it did not take him to heaven. The scriptures are clear about this. He went to a place they called paradise, but he could still see and smell and hear hell right across a great gulf. There was a guy over there in the flames that Jesus told the story about, that he could actually hear him and see him and talk to him. That's not in heaven. That place is nowhere near heaven. Are you listening to me? And when Jesus went into hell, when he died as a sinner, died as a sinner, having been reckoned and blamed and accused and, and executed for our sins, he went into hell. 
and led captivity captive. All those captives with Abraham and Abraham's bosom, he emptied that place out. It no longer, it no longer exists. They're all in glory now with Jesus. But we didn't get that inheritance because of Abraham. We got that glory inheritance that right now close your eyes in death will open them a moment later in, in, in heaven. Hallelujah. We got that because of Jesus. Are you hearing me? So that's not the inheritance we have from Abraham. I got a lot of, a lot of stuff from Jesus that I didn't get from Abraham. One of them was Holy Spirit baptism. Abraham didn't get that. Right? I got direct entrance into heaven, as we already said. I got Jesus as my high priest. Abraham didn't have that. More importantly, I guess, than any of them, I have now this awesome God as my Father. Amen. Come on, let's say it. I have God as my Father. Why don't you say it? I have God as my Father. My Father. Abraham didn't give me that. Well, you got all that from Jesus. The baptism in the Spirit, direct entrance into heaven upon death. Uh, Jesus, right now, is your high priest. You've got a man seated at the right hand of God who says what you said. He is the apostle and high priest of your confession. Glory to God. And then you have God as your Father. Well, what blessings do we get from Abraham? Well, number one, you get the blessing of long life. You ought to write these down. You get the blessing of long life. He was promised long life. He said he would satisfy you with long life. I don't know how long that is. It's whatever you think is long life. When you get satisfied, you can go to heaven. Until then, stay with us. Amen. I'm going to live here, be here a long, long time. Amen. I'm going to be here a long, long time. That's my confession. I'm sticking to it. I decided not to die young. Amen. 60 years old. Amen. 60 years old. Somebody say, oh, don't say, I don't like saying I'm old. I love saying I'm old. That means I'm not dead. <laughs> you know, just one alternative to being old. That's dying. I love saying I'm old. And when I'm 100, I'm going to love saying I'm old. Praise God. Looking forward to getting old. That means I'm alive until then. Don't you understand this? That the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 12 was chained and imprisoned. Hang on. King Herod at the time, that Herod, wasn't Herod the greatest, Herod Antipas I believe was his name, Philip maybe, one of the Herods. He, uh, he had already killed James that is, of the tandem of James and John, those brothers of Zebedee, sons of Zebedee. And he was planning on the morrow, it says. The next day, word had gone down into the dungeon that Peter might as well make ready to die because the next day he's going to die. This is no idle threat. He's already killed James. He's going to kill Peter. In the middle of the night, an angel comes into the, into the dungeon. And what do you think the Apostle Peter is doing on the last night of his life? He's not up begging God. He's, oh God, save me, forgive me, oh my sin. Oh Lord, find a way, oh please God. Oh, deliver me. You see the threatenings of this evil beast. How do you know I do that? I just know. Okay. I just know you do. <coughs> he wasn't doing any of that. Anybody know what he was doing? He was sleeping. 
I don't know what you're going to do the last night of your life if you know it's the last night of your life. I don't think I'm going to be spending any sleeping. He's asleep. He's asleep. Why would he sleep this last night away? Because the opinion he got about that being his last night was just one opinion. He had a different opinion already. John chapter 21, Jesus said this to Peter. When you're young, you go where you want to. You go where you want to right now. But when you're old, somebody else will be carrying you places you don't really want to go. Jesus just told Peter he was going to get old. <laughs> he had that opinion before he got Herod's opinion. And guess what? An angel showed up. And he walked out of that prison with no chains on. That's right. That's right. Amen. When you've got God's opinion, you can act like it's true. It doesn't matter Ooh. what they say. That's right. Doesn't matter who disagrees with you. You can act like it's true no matter what anybody says. Notice the second thing is wealth and land. If we are children of Abraham, we're not children of Abraham to go to heaven. We're children of Jesus, children of the Father, through the Lord Jesus Christ to go to heaven. That's one of the blessings Abraham had. Wealth and land. It's the will of God for you to own homes. Amen. I got three people excited about it. It's the will of God Amen. for you not to live your whole life broke. Yeah, the devil's going to do everything he can to try to thwart this promise. But it's the will of God for you to prosper in what you do, for you to be blessed. You say, well, preacher, I'm just not there, and that makes me feel guilty. Well, don't let the devil make you feel guilty. I'm not saying it to make you feel guilty. I'm, try I'm trying to let you know there's a better day coming for you if you'll believe it. There's a better day coming for you if you'll just believe it. Amen. No matter what you're going through right now, you can have a better day. You will have a better day if you'll believe it because it's part of Abraham's promise to you. Victory over your enemies. Every battle Abraham ever fought, he won. Yeah, I mean, he whipped five kings, just him and his boys. Couldn't have been just a few hundred of them. He whipped five cities, five kings in their cities in one in one battle. This dude was bad. Huh? Bad in a good way, if you know what I mean. God intended on you to be able to win in life. Not walk around being a loser. Win in life. It's one of the blessings of Abraham. Another one is miracles. How about that old wife of his having that baby? My goodness. Praise God. You may think you're done having kids, but the Lord may have another idea. Amen. Not just having kids, but having miracles. Yeah. Physical, fleshly miracles. Yeah. What's wrong if you don't want more babies? What's wrong with getting healed of that chronic thing that's bothered you your whole life? Yeah. And favor with kings and civil authorities. It seemed like everywhere Abraham went, kings were wanting to bless him. Some of them wanted to bless him because of his good-looking wife. Now, you know if this woman's 80 years old she's still good-looking, there is a God in heaven. Amen. <laughs> Huh? <laughs> These are the kind of things that make us the children of Abraham. These are your covenant blessings because you're in Abraham's family. And then the ones that are showing now, really there was a fifth one I didn't get to. God is your father and the promise of resurrection that we get from Jesus. We had five 
long life, wealth and land, victory over our enemies, miracles, favor with kings and civil authorities. All these were part of Abraham's life. But these others we get from Jesus. Holy Spirit baptism, direct entrance into heaven, Jesus as a high priest, God as Father, and promise of resurrection. Now both of these are accompanied with righteousness by faith. Righteousness by faith. Okay? I love this idea that, that God wants to prosper you because you're children of Abraham. And it's evident so many times. It's evident so many times, but no more dramatically in the first miracle Jesus performed and the last miracle Jesus performed. Remember what the first miracle Jesus performed was? John chapter 2, turning the water into wine. Remember what his last miracle was? The great draught of fish that broke the nets. After his resurrection, he's on the shore. He says, cast your, your nets on the other side. And began to break the nets. Both of them, miracles of provision that nobody really had to have. It was just more than enough miracles. More than enough kind of miracles. The one that started it all and the one that ended it all. Pretty much everything in between. Well, no, there was another time where he had Peter go catch a fish and take the corn out of his mouth. Yeah. I had a guy tell me, he said, well, God's not just going to rain money down out of heaven on you. I said, I said why? He said, because they'd make him a counterfeiter. <laughs> I said, you're a lunatic. I said, he might... He, he might not rain down stuff out of heaven on you, but he's going to rain down stuff out of heaven on me. He's not counterfeiting if he rains down diamonds and gold on me. Amen. <laughs> don't, 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 what I'm saying is, I know that's kind of silly sounding, but what I'm saying is don't limit God on how he can get it to you. The debris from creation that's scattered across the universe could fall into your yard, couldn't it? And it might just yeah, be gold yeah. and diamond. I told you all recently about a, a, a planet they found. They've been seeing this planet for years, and they knew that it wasn't really a star. It was a planet, but it shined like a star. They couldn't figure out why it glowed so. Why was it so sparkly? It, it looked like a star. It looked like a tiny little sun out there. And they finally, when the Hubble got to it, they found... It's encrusted with diamonds. Anybody, anybody see this? You can, you can find it on the internet. You can you look it up on the internet. It says diamond planet. It became my wife's favorite planet right there. She said, I, I want to go there. I want to go there. Amen. She's waiting for it to fall into her backyard, praise God. <laughs> so, Greg, if you hear a big kaboom out there, well, you'll know what happened. Well, all, all we're saying is that God made you a, a recipient of this great blessing of Abraham. And he made the very first description of Abraham, but he was very rich in silver and cattle and gold. Yeah. I've always said, I don't really care how the Lord makes me wealthy as long as it's got something to do with silver and gold and cattle. Yeah. Amen. Galatians 3.10 says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Laws intrinsically, intrinsically laws carry consequences or they are not in effect. They have no effect and therefore not actually laws. 
I mean, we have all kinds of laws on the books that are not really laws. I mean, they're on the books as laws, but if they're not enforced, they're not really laws. Do you understand? That's what's one of the, one of the big problems with the United States today is we have, we have a number of great laws that are just not being enforced. So they're, no, they're not laws at all. People don't, don't treat them like laws anymore. If it's not enforced, if it has no curse, it's not really a law. You understand what we're saying here. Jesus became a curse to take the curse from you, so there is no law for you to follow. If the curse of the law has been, has been done away with, there is no law that you need to follow. Now you just walk in the freedom of the Spirit of God. He gave you His Spirit, restored man back to what he once had in the garden, even greater, resurrection power greater. Uh, he restored so, so that now you can walk again with God as though God is with you because He is. You're not trying to please God. You're just walking by faith. And that all by itself pleases God because without faith it is impossible to please Him. So you just walk by faith and that pleases God. All of religion, all of modern religion, most of the backslidden church in the world is working to try to please God. I talked to a guy not many years ago. We were talking about heaven. He said, oh, I'm just really trying to go there. I just really want to, I'm trying so hard to make heaven my home. I said, well, you need to stop trying and just believe on Jesus. Oh, I do. I said, no, you don't. Now, you believe it on yourself if you think you can work hard enough to get there. You're not believing in Jesus. I'm going to heaven because Jesus is in heaven. Not because I'm somehow climbing. I'm on the highway to heaven. I said, I'm not. I'm not singing that song. I'm not on no highway to heaven. He, you on a highway to heaven will never get you to heaven. We needed him to build a road from heaven to earth and come to us. And when he did that, glory to God, and when he rose to glory, the Bible says, I am seated with him in heavenly places right now. I'm already in heaven, glory to God. My physical body's not, I realize that. You're not already in heaven, naturally. But as far as God the Father is concerned, he sees you in Christ, his Son. And when he sees you in his son, he can't reverse that and take it back. That means as surely as Jesus is in heaven, you're going to go to heaven if you're a believer in Jesus. It's not a hope so proposition. I hope I make heaven my home. Well, you're not going to. Not like that. Not in that condition. You've got to believe you are seated with him in heavenly places and there's no way out. They have no back door there. You know what I'm talking about? You don't hear a Pentecostal preach like this very often. Because I don't know what grace means, but I do know what grace means. I have unconditional, unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. Glory to God. Come on, somebody, say amen. This is good. It is the nature of a broken law to curse. So that's why Jesus just fulfilled the law and did away with them for us. Verse 11. And I'm almost finished. Can you stand a couple of more minutes? But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And what he said, what he means by live means life comes from faith in no other way. Until you step into the unseen realm, you're not really living. Until you become aware of the unseen realm and learn to live by faith in that realm, you're not really living. I do not like all the talk about those who are so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. Let me say to you, friend, if you want to do this earth some good, 
Change your mind and stop being so carnally minded and become heavenly minded. Think in the spirit and you're going to make a change. You're going to make a difference in this world. Don't forget, it was people like the Shakers. It was people like the Quakers who were ridiculed in their day. But they looked a lot like you do. When they worshiped, they shook. They'd be under the power of God and they would say, Quakers. They established the state of Pennsylvania. They established governments and wrote constitutions. They were trusted. That's why, that's why Philadelphia played such an important role in this nation's creation. There's a bunch of people who shook when they prayed and when they were in the presence of God. You understand what I'm saying? These were no mere ruffians tramping out of the backwood. These were people who were willing to give themselves to the presence and power of God. Established libraries and educational institutions. Some of the finest people that ever walked the planet were people that are like you. Glory to God. You want to argue about that? Nope. Didn't think so. <laughs> Verse 12, and the law is not of faith. I didn't write this. You'd think I did. The law is not of faith. The law is not of faith. But the man that does them shall live in them. Can you put up Romans 14, 23? The law is not of faith. Look at that last phrase there. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. It's a little dangerous to be sliding verses together, but this is axiomatic in nature. Whatever, whatsoever, that means he's prepping you for an axiomatic statement. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Keeping the law outside of faith in and of itself is a sinful exercise. Keeping the law out of fear in and of itself is a sinful exercise. And sinful to tell people to do it. Just like sinful to tell people to go ahead and live together before you get married. And the church is rife with this kind of nonsense. Right. Trying to gain their righteousness by how well they perform. Too many of us are not living our dreams because we're living our fears. You never live your dreams until you get out of the fear of failing. The fear of failing God. You live your dreams by walking by faith. Verse 13, and I'm finished. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on the tree. Did you see that he was re Christ hath redeemed us. That redeemed us is the gospel part of this passage. Redeemed us. One of the creeds says, Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ rose again. As though they're expressing their faith. Pardon me. That is not the gospel. That's nothing but the history. They left the gospel part out. The for our sins is the part that makes it gospel. Christ died for our sins. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. The gospel is about what it does for you. What it does for you makes you a new creature. 
and makes you capable of living in this earth as though God is living in this earth. And there's a hurting, frustrated, dying, sighing, crying world out there that desperately needs a manifestation of the family of God in the earth today. Come on, let's pray together. Father, I thank you. Thank you for the revelation and the spirit that you brought us in these few verses of Scripture. Thank you that we can live above our circumstances as we live in the Spirit because circumstances and all natural circumstances are subject to the Spirit. Today, my invitation to you, people of God, people under the sound of my voice, I want you to hear me. This is the best day you've ever had to make a decision for change. The reason it's the best day is because it's the latest day. Right now you're in a moment where you can make whatever change you want to and create for yourself an opportunity to have significant change in your life. The greatest invitation at any church or this church could ever offer anyone was the opportunity to become part of the family of God. And I'm not talking about joining the river. I'm talking about joining the kingdom. Becoming a part of the family of God. You do this by simple acknowledgement from the heart. That you believe with your heart that Christ died for your sins. And that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. This is what the gospel teaches us. Christianity really is all about Christ and what he did. And our simple faith in him. With your heads bowed, I just want to ask you, is that you? you are you here today saying, I need to start my change. I need to know Jesus as my Savior. I need to confess him as Lord today. I need to get some things right. But mostly I just need to to know Him, to start my relationship with Him. Is that you today? If, you, if that's you, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I just want you to, with an acknowledgement, lifting your hand, and I'll pray with you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you for it. God bless you. Bless you. You can put your hands down. I want to ask all of the people of God here, and those of you who raised your hand, would you just pray this simple prayer? It's a childlike prayer. I'll keep it simple. And I want you to repeat after me because I cannot give you faith, but I can lend you some words. If you'll use your own heart's faith to believe these words, Jesus of Nazareth, who, the one who rose from the dead, will rise up big in you. Amen. He will come into your life and you will never be the same. Would you pray this prayer? Dear God in heaven, I come to you in Jesus' name, I've asked that you take me like I am. I'm turning from the world. I'm turning from my past. And I'm turning to you. Jesus, come into my life. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you were buried. And I believe you rose again the third day. Just like the Bible says. I receive you now, Lord. Come into my heart. 
Be my God. And I will live for you. I will follow you. All my life is yours now. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now listen to me, friend. Amen. It's wonderful. If you prayed that prayer, if you prayed that prayer, I know you meant it from your heart, but if you prayed that prayer, the Bible says that you just became a new creature. You just became new on the inside. It might, you might say, well, preacher, I don't know. I didn't really feel anything. Ah, feelings are in the flesh. Feelings, feelings are in your mind and your emotions. Your spirit may not have any feelings. But the reality of truth being released through those words, that's what made the difference. That's what recreated you on the inside. There are a number of things you need to follow up with right now. You know, just like every baby's born, they don't just pitch him out there and let him, hope he makes it. God brought you here to this congregation. He brought you here to this church to find your way to Him. This is where He wants you to stay and grow. And Miss Ann right here is a great little pastor. I'm going to do my best to teach you, preach the Word of God to you. And she's going to, she's going to guide you and help you and pray with you and help you in every, every way possible. She and this beautiful staff we have.